0: Today on CityCast Salt Lake. The Salt Lake ritual of waiting in line to buy alcohol before a holiday weekend. It's something we've all come to accept. Kinda. The agency that determines how and where we can buy alcohol is the DABC, and the department has just penned its first ever strategic plan. Does this mean buying booze will get easier? Am I? Fox 13's Ben Winslow is a veteran reporter on Utah's evolving liquor laws, and he's here today to break down the plan's highlights. It's Monday, May 23rd, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Ben, welcome to CityCast Salt Lake. Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I'm excited to chat with you about the DABC. But my first question for you is like for anyone who's new to the state or who might be uninitiated, what is the DABC and why is it such a force?
1: It's the Department of Alcoholic Beverage Control, and it is the agency that handles all liquor sales and distribution in the state of Utah, uh, with an exception being uh Beer of less than 5% alcohol by volume now. That's handled under a totally separate set of laws. But the DABC is your one-stop shop. If you're a bar, if you're a restaurant, if you're a consumer, they're the provider.
0: They're the gatekeepers of our drinking habits. How do you think most Salt Lakers feel about the DABC? Because I feel like they get some of them some misplaced rage from from Utahns sometimes. I think it's
1: fair to say it's a love hate relationship mm. with the DABC. Um, there are certain advantages and disadvantages to being a liquor control state. And certainly you see that in the consumer end of things where people uh, have frustrations about not being able to get, for example, wine in grocery stores <laughs> or yeah. other things that uh, not being able to just, you know, necessarily go certain places with a drink in your hand. So there certainly is some frustration. Yes, to your point, there's a lot that's uh, misapplied because really the DABC is an enforcement agency and they enforce the laws that are created by the legislature. I like to jokingly say, but it's not quite a joke. All roads lead to Capitol Hill.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. That comes up a lot on this show, especially because we talk about City issues so much, and so frequently, what it comes down to is like, well, the city has limited control because it all leads back to the legislature. So, yeah, I think it's interesting because you attend a lot of these DABC meetings, you've referred to them as gauntlets, where businesses (laughs) are competing for licenses, and it feels like there is been a bit of a directional shift with the DABC. Like one of the reasons we're chatting today is that they wrote a strategic plan. What is behind this plan and like some of these changes? Like how would you characterize it from 30,000 feet?
1: I think what you could see is this is the administration of Governor Spencer Cox putting its fingerprint on alcohol policy in Utah. Every administration has their priorities, what they want to accomplish in different government agencies. And this is the attempt by the Cox administration to influence alcohol policy. Um, this is why you're seeing things like a name change. Uh, the DABC will drop control from its name and become the department of alcoholic beverage services. And the view behind that is that it should reflect what the agency is trying to accomplish, which is serving customers versus controlling things, even mm-hmm. though Really, uh, the mission is the same. We are still a liquor control state. Alcohol is still controlled by the state and its distribution is still controlled by the state. But it's a different way of reflecting it. This strategic plan is also part of that. It's outlining some of the goals of the agency, what they want to accomplish, uh, how they want to accomplish it, and what it ultimately does mean for consumers.
0: Before we get into some of the specifics of the plan, I'm curious how much influence Governor Cox actually has here, because there have been many times where his administration has tried to lead us in a slightly different direction than what the legislature is interested in. And often it feels like he loses that battle. So as it relates to alcohol sales, like how much influence does this plan or does he have in this realm?
1: Well, he has some influence in that it's um, he, he can set some of the agenda. He can say, these are the commission members that I want to appoint, which he has done. He has appointed a lot of new commissioners. He can appoint the executive director who can outline the agency's visions. But you still do have to go through the legislature. There is this push pull of, you know, legislative executive priorities. And that's how government works. That's how we we've created this. Um, so yes, he can still influence a lot. The legislature can be a check and balance. And we have seen that play out with, um, you know, some initiatives that he has tried to push, um, and his executive director has tried to push and how far the legislature will go with that. And then you also have the competing priorities of say hospitality and business groups, um, you know, liquor distributors or beer distributors who also have their priorities. And then you have, um, Alcohol prevention groups on the other end who have strong feelings about loosening liquor laws. Then you have even the other influence of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, which has strong feelings on liquor laws. There, it, all of this gets mixed into—I uh, I don't know if you call it a delicious cocktail—but it gets mixed <laughs> into something that we serve on Capitol Hill.
0: Sounds like a Long Island tea. Sounds (laughs) dangerously murky. (laughs) Lots of Everclear. Yeah, exactly. So what are some of the things that are in this plan? Like, are there are there highlights,
1: lowlights? There's a lot in this plan. And uh, it starts really surprisingly uh, with how it was created, Uh, which this was unusual in that they've never really had one of these long term strategic plans. And this is also shows. Fir- <laughs> this is also the first time that uh, they consulted with hospitality and um, different groups, uh, beer distributors, liquor distributors. You know the people that they serve, bars, restaurants. Um, I talked to the Salt Lake Area Restaurant Association, who said, "Yeah, this is the first time anybody asked what we thought about anything," hmm, <laughs> which wow. was really kind of interesting because this is the agency that controls these groups, um, what they can and can't do when it comes to serving alcohol or, you know, any of the selling it, any of that stuff, uh, they wanted their input in this. And of course, you know, you don't get everything you want, but you can say, this is what you, what you find. What was interesting also is that the vast majority of bars, restaurants surveyed actually have good relationships with the DABC. In the strategic goals, the big number one is infrastructure advancements. And this is something that consumers can feel firsthand. The credit card machines are old, they're not up to speed. The DABC's uh, systems still are on paper. Like if you are a festival or an event and you fill out what's called a single event permit, it's still on paper. The new DABC director, Tiffany Clayson, has said that she just doesn't understand why uh, people cannot just fill out these forms online and then it goes to the agency for approval, yay or nay. Um, and so they're, the number one thing they need to do is upgrade things. Uh, consumers could expect to see smart pay, um, So, you know, Apple Pay, Google Pay, that kind of stuff. Okay. Down the road, at least starting next year, one of the other things that they want to do is click and collect. It's this idea of online ordering. That's a big advancement uh, in this state that we haven't tried before. So we're a little behind the times technologically.
0: That's also a big one for like the holidays, because famously, you know, before Thanksgiving, before Christmas, lines around the block. If you could shop online and just pick it up, it would expedite that process.
1: And that's what the DABC, soon to be DABS, uh, believes that it would be a big advantage for them um, and would help consumers a lot. And there is support for it. The legislature did authorize some money and authorize uh, allowing this to happen. Uh, The other big goal is getting wages up to snuff. I mean, this is a longstanding issue that the DABC has struggled with uh, which is competitive wages.
0: Who has to approve this plan now? Like, what what's next for this plan? Does it need to be approved by the legislature or tenants of it?
1: Not really, but the legislature will certainly be involved. They'll take this to the legislature and show them, hey, this is what we're working on. But the legislature has already largely been supportive of these missions, and this strategic plan kind of comes out of uh, discussions with lawmakers who uh, are tasked with overseeing the agency.
0: Do you think that we'll be seeing some of these conversations during the interim session?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, If there is one thing that is a constant, it is uh, discussions about alcohol policy in Utah.
0: (laughs) you mentioned that this is really kind of all leads back to governor cox putting his fingerprint on how we think about liquor in the state and i'm curious like the demographics of our state are changing so rapidly is this is this a response to
1: that it is it's also a response to increasing vocalization by people (laughs) i didn't really phrase that right you know my Apologies for my terrible grammar, but um, (laughs) more and more people are speaking up. We have a huge tech sector coming in. We have, you know, Silicon Slopes. It's not to be uh, understated the level that they bring in. And those are people with a lot of money. They come from other states where they're used to things a certain way. And so they've gotten increasingly vocal. You have business groups that have gotten increasingly vocal. Hospitality is a huge part of our economy a tourism and ways to make it more friendly. And it's that balance that you see. For example, the governor favors, and he's told me this repeatedly, he favors increasing the number of bar licenses in Utah, which the legislature sets by an arbitrary quota. It's a completely made up number, one license per 10,200 people. The legislature this year did not address the, the lack of liquor licenses, the lack of bar licenses, uh, they feel like what we have, they did rework it a little bit to free up some more licenses. But right now, the the feeling is, is at least among lawmakers on Capitol Hill, is that they're fine with it the way that it is right now, even though we, we've also seen lately as the DABC commission itself vocally speaking up about the lack of licenses. I've never seen that before. In all the years I've covered the DABC, I've never seen a commission so vocal about this. And they're telling people, call your lawmakers, speak up. If you don't like this, you need to talk to your elected representatives about this. So what you're seeing, is all of that.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because it's like, okay, Utah's hosting the All-Star Game in February of next year where Salt Lake is bidding for the Olympics in 2030. Like these sorts of massive cultural institutions, I imagine they're also weighing it on some of this policy. I can't imagine All-Star Game commissioners aren't like, we would like people to be able to drink and celebrate this game. And I'm curious, like, how do you think that our alcohol laws sort of like, in some ways undermine our ability to build the kind of cultural economy that it feels like we really want to in this state.
1: Certainly liquor laws do change with major events. I don't know if anything is going to come up right away as far as the All-Star Game, but I certainly will be nosing around on that. Uh, But if you remember during the 2002 Winter Olympics, when we were getting the Olympics then, that's when we dropped the private club memberships at bars. You had to have a sponsor to go into a bar and we got rid of that. Um, so I wouldn't surprise me to see some shifts in policy as we get closer if we get another Olympics uh, coming into town, because that would certainly uh, affect things dramatically.
0: Yeah. I am personally opposed to Salt Lake hosting the Olympics again, but I have said on the record that I'm open to it if it means that I'll be able to buy one in the grocery store after, so... And it that one naive, is a, that's a but... top
1: question I get asked a lot is <laughs> really? the white in grocery stores. I don't know if you're going to see it. Anything short of, say, you know, uh, a citizen ballot initiative or something like that. And even then, I don't even know how that would fare.
0: Yeah, I am surprised we haven't seen a ballot initiative. It's been threatened
1: now. before. It's been talked about. Ballot initiatives are very expensive, are very difficult to pull off. They're very divisive. Um, This type of a thing, you're almost wading into a culture war, and I think you might see a lot of resistance to that, but who knows? Anything can happen.
0: While you're here, I can't not ask you about something that you've been reporting on recently, which is the legislature launching a study into the possibility of building a pipeline to carry water from the Pacific Ocean into the Great Salt Lake. Please elaborate.
1: (laughs) I know. Right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This was one of those things. I was on Capitol Hill covering uh, another meeting and I saw this pop up on a study list and I did a triple take. Just a wait. What? And I started asking people on Capitol Hill. You can't be serious. And. I and people were like, oh, oh, it's serious. And so I rushed over to the committee meeting and interviewed the committee chairs just asking about it. And, and I asked, you can't be serious, are you? And they are serious. Uh, they're serious about a study. Let's be okay. clear. Okay. Uh, there's a long way to go from here to a pipeline actually pumping water in from the Pacific Ocean into the Great Salt Lake. All options are on the table, as lawmakers told me. Uh, they're willing to consider anything and everything in this drought crisis, um, and the Great Salt Lake shrinking and disappearing presents an existential threat to everyone in northern Utah. No one likes arsenic-laced dust storms. Nope. 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 Not one bit. <laughs> no, not one bit. I, I mean, I'm personally not a fan of that. Um, <laughs> so, it it they're willing to consider all options. I know this sounds while they are serious about a study at the very least
0: one of the criticisms that i've seen from environmental advocates around this proposed around this study um is That they would rather us have conversations about conservation before we explore this kind of project. And I will say, like, personally, I'm really into climate change projects of this scale. Like, I think it's interesting to talk about solutions to climate problems at this scale. But it does feel like we should be talking first about consumption. I mean, you've been reporting on this for a while. Have you seen that shift at the legislature or is that just... Falling by the wayside.
1: Oh no, I've seen a dramatic shift in the legislature about water conservation, how we use water. There was a number of bills this year that passed and were signed into law by the governor that I never thought I would see. Um, There's a bill that requires cities for all future developments to include how it impacts water use. Um, In all planning, you have to consider how we use water. Um, there was bills dealing with, you know, localscaping and prohibiting cities from banning xeriscaping or localscaping, which was really interesting. I have seen a change in how the legislature is addressing water quality. Now, ideas like this are, are one, and then they are addressing water conservation. There is this renewed emphasis on it, but it takes a lot and, you know, multiple conversations can happen at once.
0: Mm -hmm. One of the things that I don't understand about this proposal is that currently the major tributaries of the Great Salt Lake are freshwater bodies. So just because the Salt Lake is salty doesn't mean that it's full of salt water. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Dot, dot, dot.
1: (laughs) To say nothing of the logistics of this and the politics of this, there is you, you you think about just even the idea of a pipeline. You're going from the Pacific Ocean. Uphill across the Sierra Nevadas, across the deserts of Nevada, into Utah, into the Great Salt Lake. I don't even know like how much it would cost. The legislature doesn't even know. Potentially billions of dollars. Uh, politically, how do the states of California and Nevada feel about this? I don't know. I don't even know who has the rights to the Pacific Ocean. Is this like an international thing? Is this like a you know, but Maritime? this is what. I, <laughs> No idea. I'm not an ocean water policy expert. I'm not even a local water policy expert. I just reports on it, kids.
0: When you report stories like this, do you get ambushed in real life? Like, are you just at the grocery store and people are like, I'm sorry, I have to talk to you about this thing? Yes.
1: Oh, people have feelings about this and other things. um, And I will give the same advice I give to people when I am on uh, aisle five by the TV dinners, which is never be afraid to contact your legislator about this or other issues that you feel uh, strongly about.
0: Yep, yep, that's Sage. (laughs) Ben, thanks so much.
1: Happy to be here.
0: A little more news before we go. Over the weekend, Ben also reported that Salt Lake City officials are proposing a massive water donation from the city to the Great Salt Lake. That's right. The city is currently building a new wastewater treatment plant, which would process about 33 million gallons of water a day. The Salt Lake City Department of Public Utilities says that Salt Lakers have done a good job conserving water lately, and so proposes that our surplus-treated water flow into the Great Salt Lake, instead of being used for other measures or sold to compensate the city for the cost of treating it. It's another idea that's currently just being floated, but it's an interesting local one. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye.